Hey guys, welcome to a new Psycho and Fanatic podcast here on the Psycho and Fanatic podcast network. It was a couple months ago when I sat down with Iowa State Athletics Director Jamie Pollard. Uh, it was a super controversial time, and uh, well, you guys all remember what that podcast was like. Um, I just appreciate Jamie's candor so much, and I wanted to reach out to him to talk about things now that we can look back a little bit. Iowa State doesn't play this weekend uh, in preparation for the Big 12 championship game coming up a week from Saturday against Oklahoma. And I really wanted to get Jamie's reflections on, you know, the last three months, uh, everything that they've been through, and also looking ahead. How is this pandemic going to change um, college athletics, right? Post-pandemic, there's so many questions to ask. The good thing is Jamie's so receptive, and I know that we'll get him back on after the season is completely over, and we will continue to you know, keep that line of communication open. But um, I'm, I'm not going to really lead into this anymore. We talk about Iowa State's bull situation. We talk about how Iowa State has been able to keep its COVID numbers so low. Uh, we talk about finances and the, the business of college sports after COVID, and I really think you guys are going to enjoy it. Before we get to it, I want to encourage everybody to go to their local liquor store and see if you can find the Cyclone Fanatic barrel pick of Cody Road bourbon from the Mississippi River Distilling Company. Even if they don't have it, you can request it. You can do that and uh, also look at all the other Mississippi River Distilling Company products like the Iowish Cream Liqueur. I really like the Cody Road rye. I've been drinking that a lot lately. Really good stuff. And uh, we appreciate them. The Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network is powered, should I say fueled, by our good friends at Cody Road. All right, guys. Enjoy it. I think you will. Here's that Jamie Pollard interview for your bye week on the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast Network. Jamie, it's been, I think, a couple months since we last spoke. I feel like this is a little bit of a different tone of a conversation, right? Well, the last time I think, we were all kind of scrambling at the last time, didn't really know how it was going to happen. And then now but things have gone really well, I feel like, for the most part. Well, you know, it's it's true. You think back to where things were, you know, going back to March, April, um, you know, to August, September, the interview you're talking about, you know, when we didn't know what we were going to get in, and whether there were going to be fans or not fans. I recall that interview was right around the time we were going to have fans and not have fans. And, um, and now here we stand, you know, uh, a little over a week away from the big 12 championship game. And we played all 10 games and, and lo and behold, we're in the championship game and, and lo and behold, we're ranked seventh in the country. So um, who would have ever thunk back then? Right. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. Now, what was that? What was it like last night? Real quick, before we get into the more business side of things, just to see Iowa State across on that screen at, at number seven. For I got goosebumps, to be honest with you. Like I, I really did. I, I, I had the physical reaction of goosebumps. How did you respond? Well, I, I appreciate you sharing that because that's awesome, and that that's one of the cool things about all this is just you know seeing the reaction from longtime Cyclone fans. That, and I wouldn't even. Now, you're a longtime fan, but you're not even the demographic that I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about some of the older people that have been waiting a whole lifetime yeah. for this to happen. But nonetheless, 
Um, I, I kind of anticipated we'd be ahead of Georgia, and maybe that was just blind optimism by me. So when I was watching it, I was like, okay, are we coming up in nine or are we going to be, and all of a sudden, you know, nine came up and we weren't there. And I'm like, holy cats, we're eight. And before I could even think about it, all of a sudden Cincinnati came up and um, I was like, oh my gosh, they moved us to seven. So um, yeah, it was, you know, last week was probably the pinch me because we got into the top 10. This time it's now just kind of become this like, okay, it's happening. So enjoy the ride. And so it didn't really surprise me, but, um, it was, I knew when it happened, it was like, wow, this is really going to make people feel good. Yeah, it did. How did you, how would you, I kind of reached out to you about this cause I had a really weird reaction on, on Saturday watching that game. I mean, it was like a dream game, right? I, you know, Iowa State fans, like, it's always, like, in the past, like, even when Iowa State's been good, it's never easy. Like, these games will come down to the wire, and oftentimes you win them. But, like, that, there was just no no doubt about it in two of the last three weeks. I mean, just such dominant performances. Um, I don't know. Like, it, there's a weird sense of um, irony here that Iowa State's having this dream season during the COVID year. Um, but it, it's also brought so much joy to so many people who really, 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 really need it right now. How do mm-hmm. you, how do you weigh that? Cause there is a bit of a, I mean, well, I, I, you could have a pity party with this, but it's also really cool on how it's played out. Well, I'm going to take what you just said there. I'm going to address the first part and then come to the second part. So the first part is, you know, the reality is just setting in that we're just really good. Yeah. And you know, I think that's what was displayed you know, on Saturday is, you know, longtime Cyclone fans, I can't even say we've been here before and it doesn't end well, right? Because we haven't been here before. Yeah. You know, we've been in games that we had decided were big games and sometimes it didn't end well. But that was just a, you know, and Saturday was just another big game in college football. And well, all we did is went out and affirmed that we're a really good team on both sides of the ball. And we just physically manhandled them and, you know, one convincing. And that's what really good teams do all the time in college football. And we're now doing that. So that's the part for me that I was prideful of Saturday is, you know, we had an opportunity to go through the front door and we did, we kicked the door down and said, we're here. And, and to me, that was cool. Um, you know, the, the, the second part, though, of, uh, of the question, um, and I'm losing my train of thought a little because <laughs> I was thinking about the first part. It's all right. That, this, that's bad uh, interviewing on my part. I, I threw too much <laughs> at you. It was about you did, the, have, you did have two questions, but you ended with the second. Yeah. Uh, it's just the irony in the. Yeah, the irony of it, yes. Yeah. Is of the, that this is all happening in a COVID year. Um, you know, yes, it's cool for Cyclone fans but we're a national story now. So I think it's, you know, people love the underdog. And so, you know, I'm getting text messages from people that aren't cyclone fans that are just friends and acquaintances and peers that people are kind of having fun with what we're doing because everyone likes that story and we're a great Cinderella story right now. Um, And I, and I think that's good for college football. It's good for, you know, football and sports fans in general. Um, I'm not going to say, well, it's good for people in the country because I'm not certain, you know, that's a little disingenuous to think all these people in the world that 
LSU footballer tuned in to watch an Iowa State. But they but should you be. get it. It's 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 a feel good story at a in a time in our society that we need all the feel good we can get. What about um, as far as the bull situation goes? Because normally at this point, I would assume you'd be out. Um, politicking on fans and we can bring, we can do this for your economy, et cetera. That's kind of, that's kind of gone now. How is the bowl lead up different from where you sit this year compared to a normal year? Well, I mean, some of the same things are being done. It's just, we're using a different message, yeah. you know? And so in the past we traded on our fan base and, you know, and, and that's helped us more often than it's not, you know, this time we can actually trade on the performance of our team. That's you know? cool. And so, um, you know, when, you know, I, I kind of chuckle under my breath, you know, I sent out that tweet that a fellow AD sent me that showed, you know, the number of wins we had over winning teams compared to the big 10 collectively. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I did it one to make our fans feel good, but two to put facts out there. Um, and three, you know, I don't think we haven't sent that to, all the CFP bowl games and to the Alamo bowl, um, you know, because it's a fact. And, you know, when some people whined about it, you know, which I still wonder why they follow the Iowa state AD, if that is insulting to them. But, um, you know, the friend that shared that with me obviously knew what the CFP was going to say because it validated itself yesterday with being the number seven team in the country. So, that's what we've been doing. You know, we've been in close contact with the bowl reps and um, just talking about, you know, who we are as a football team, you know, and um, I try to have fun with that. You know, I, I was doing some fun text messaging and tweeting with some of the bowl reps last night. Um, you know, so uh, that's just something I think we've grown to do pretty well over the course of time. Yeah. Um, and then as far as I don't, the goal right now is a Big 12 uh, championship, but how how much are you paying attention to the playoff stuff as far as like, oh, well, this team needs to lose and, and any of well, that? Well, I have fun with it yeah. you know, because it, I'm a college football fan, right? <laughs> Me too. I've got all the scenarios on paper, by the way. So, Well, you know, here, here's the this, – this will be the first one to get everybody going. Okay. Uh, so, um, you know, obviously the only thing we do control – is we control winning the Big 12 championship and we control then a spot in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. Okay? After that, everything is, you know, there's backup plans if you don't win the Big 12 championship game. And, you know, the Fiesta Bowl is probably a really good landing spot. Yeah. And we've got a great relationship with the folks at the Fiesta Bowl, but we also have a great relationship with folks at the Alamo Bowl. However, if you do want to just spend brain power and think about, well, how could we get to the CFP? Yeah. You know, so you start looking at it and going, well, the winner of the Big 12 championship game is probably going to be the highest-ranked bowl champion that's not in the CFP. And so if there is a opening, then that's going to be, you know, based on prior um, analytics from the CFP committee, winning your conference championship is a big factor for them. And, you know, we saw it play out in the first year with Baylor and TCU because neither one had, quote, won the Big 12 championship. Um, so when you do the scenarios, and I don't know if you got this on the big board, you know, um, you know I, I wrote it out this way and said, um, so the Big 10 needs to have their champion round, right? 
So it starts with the Hawks need to beat Wisconsin. Then the Hawks are second in the Big Ten. Northwestern plays Indiana in the Big Ten championship game. And the Hawks get to play Ohio State in the runner-up game. Oh, wow. (laughs) So the Hawks do the Cyclones a huge favor by beating Ohio State. And so then it's not even a matter of a 6-0 Ohio State team because they won't be 6-0. They'll be 5-1, and and the Cyclone fans will be dancing, you know, (laughs) with all their Hawk fans because that opened up a spot, right? Yeah. Um, And, you know, then you can take it a step further and you say we need Notre Dame to beat Clemson. Yeah, that was the one I was – Alabama to beat Florida. Yeah. And all of a sudden, if that happens, Iowa State's number four, um, you know, and – possibly number four because of the bowl champion or being a big 12 conference champion, you know, and you're playing Alabama. So um, it starts this Saturday with Iowa beating Wisconsin. I think they're still playing, aren't they? Yeah. And there's, look. they're still on as far as I know. I, have, I haven't seen that's anything. for the second place in the West. So, and I'd rather have, if it's going to come down to Ohio state needing to lose, I'd rather have them play in the Hawks because I'd take Kirk Ferentz and his defense, you know, every yeah. day of the week. That they're that they're a team that could beat Ohio State. I, I think so too. I it's one of the reasons. I, yeah. I the Ohio State fans got all. I had a bunch of them sending me hate mail the other day. Huh. But because well, I, 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 it'll be interesting to see what the CFP does. You know, and I don't know. I, that's the thing, though, Jamie. Like I don't know. Like they they could get in and and win the thing. But but I also like I look at their resume and they've beaten a bunch of one win teams in Indiana by yep. seven. So it's 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 really. I always say this as a guy who tries to analyze this as objectively as I can every day on the radio because our show is like 85% college football. Um, it's hard on a normal year to get to that four. Usually it's two for sure, maybe three. The fourth is really difficult. It's impossible this year, I think, to to say like anybody knows for a fact. Yep, I would agree. And, you know, A&M not getting to play Ole Miss this weekend – I don't know what the SEC will do on championship weekend. There was talk that they would make everybody play on that Saturday just to get in games. Yeah. You know, so could A&M get beat next Saturday by somebody, um, you know, which would then knock them out of it. So it's, uh, if, if we've learned anything in COVID is expect the unexpected mm-hmm. and who would have thought we were going to be seven. So, um, yeah. you know, but at the end of the day, control the controllables, and the controllable is we're going to the Big 12 championship game, and we got to play Oklahoma, who's a really good team. And, you know, heck, count on one hand practically the number of times we've beaten them, and now we're going to try to beat them twice in one year. Yeah. The cool thing about that. Uh, yeah. The cool thing about that game is I think back to the game at Jack Trice Stadium in September, which was an awesome game. Like, I mean, if you're just a football fan, to watch that game, regardless of who you're rooting for or if you had any rooting interest, it was one of the better games of the year that I've watched. Both of those teams have gotten so much better, too, since that date. And I I really do think that that game will be... I mean, that might be the best conference champ. I think Clemson and Notre Dame will be really good, but man... Iowa State, Oklahoma, like this, um, if you're just putting on like the hat like that Gary Bard is wearing right now, um, this will be one of the better postseason college football games of the year. Absolutely. And it, it um, will be very exciting. And, um, you know, it, uh, 
it, it's just really cool to be in this spot and it'll be fun come 11 o'clock, you know, 10 days from now. So um, we'll see. So you, you were just talking about controlling the um, controllables and you guys have done a phenomenal job at Iowa state. You put out your latest COVID numbers last night with the last week with zero positive tests. And that, it, I mean, it's really incredible, especially in a state where we've, you know, we've had pretty high numbers for the last, I don't know, month, month and a half. Um, looking back now, like what, what do you, what did you guys get? So right. You know, how, how did, how, because you look around every month or every week and there's just games getting canceled left and right. You just had this happen, you know, with the basketball program in, in DePaul on Sunday. Right. What would you say that Iowa State has done so well to navigate this pandemic? Well, I, I would credit it to three things. First and foremost was having a really good plan from the get-go and sticking to that plan. And, you know, all the credit goes to uh, Mark Coberly and his staff and the football staff because they were the first ones up. And, you know, Saturday night after the football game, when we were in the locker room and Matt was talking to the team. You know, he, he was reflecting on how far we have come this fall. And he used the example of, you remember back in March and April when it felt like I was kindergarten, kindergarten top, you know, um, because, you know, we were letting nine people into the facility at a time and only nine people could work out on the field at one time. And, you know, just the painstaking detail we went to to create a safe environment from day one. But I think that that structure that we created um, and, you know, really has allowed us to have an incredible foundation as we brought other sports in and as we've gotten further into the fall to uh, be successful. Second thing would be just uh, – um, it's the commitment, the diligence that, you know, the players, student-athletes, and the coaches have put into this because, um, you know, it's so much easier to say than it is to do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we weren't talking about doing it for two weeks or three weeks. We've been talking about doing it for seven months. Yeah. And, you know, you start to think of all the, um, you know, just all the little micro decisions that one person could make that could bring down the whole thing. You know, instead of staying in on Saturday night after we beat Oklahoma and playing, you know, Xbox with your roommate, you go out to the bars mm-hmm. or you go over to your girlfriend's house and your girlfriend's house has got six or seven other people there. and You just can't do that. And it's not like, well, you can't do it this weekend, Chris. No, it's like you can't do this for seven months. Yeah. And um, that's the part that is just, to me, really impressive. And, you know, and we're not there yet. You know, we got to say, guys – you know, we got to get to the 19th and then guess what? You aren't going home for Christmas. Mm-hmm. We're all staying here and we're all doing this until this ride's over. And, you know, that's a, a you know, that, that's a lot to ask of anybody, let alone a 18 to 22 year old. So, and then the third part is, um, you know, we just had luck, you know, because not everybody has been absolutely, you know, perfect in this process. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe that time you went to the grocery store, there was just, luck that you know the person next to you in line wasn't somebody that had it you know and mm-hmm. um because you know chris you had it and you never figured out how you got yeah, it. yeah i still don't so, know you know yeah you know and so it's not like you've been out there you know just doing things wildly so you got to have a little luck on your side too um and you know so 
all of those coming together, I think is what's contributed to it. And it, it's, to me, that's probably a bigger accomplishment than what our football team has accomplished. And that's saying a lot. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. And I, I, that's the one thing too, that I just wish, I don't know. I don't know. I don't I'm, I'm, Speaking with bias here, so I have to be careful. But with the college football playoff, I I've been a big proponent since we even started any of this of just making it larger this year because I I I don't know. I just it's hard for me to say like I'll oh, put a team that played five or six games in there when yep. you know I've watched Iowa State specific, and this isn't an Iowa State thing, but I th- anybody in the ACC or SEC or Big 12, really, right. who's had to go through this grind of 10 games of um, not only the physical toll that your body puts on playing week after week after week, but what you just described. Like, to me, like, that right. should play a part in the decision-making this year. And it's not Ryan Day's fault, right? Like, he's he's controlling what he can control, but the – Big Ten, that was the decision that they made. I don't know. I'm trying to right. decide. Well, you know, office. something that hasn't been talked about, and I wish it would be talked about by the talking heads, is, I mean, Gene Smith said it himself, you know, a week and a half ago when they didn't play Illinois. They could have played, but they chose not to. Yeah. Okay? To me, that's a huge red flag. Don't whine to me about only having played five games. You could have played a sixth game. Chris Kleiman? could have played that card and K state could have said, we're not going to play Iowa state. They were clearly decimated these last couple weeks. And, you know, one of the reasons we beat them 45 zip and Texas is what ran all over them is, you know, they're, they're decimated and they're practicing with, you know, walk-ons out of position playing linebacker and nose tackle. And, you know, but we all agreed in the big 12, you know, that we're here to kind of play games. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and so Ohio state openly admitted that they didn't play Illinois when they could have played them. You know, it wasn't a situation where they were below the threshold and, you know, the, the book said you don't get to play. No, it was a, just a decision that they made. So, they're, you know, as Greg Sankey said so well, the commissioner of the SEC, you know, there's consequences for decisions. And, um, you know, I, I, to me, that's a bigger issue that no one's even talked about. They, you know, the talking heads have just let that go past. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that one should get a free pass. How do you deal with, now that you go back on your NCAA basketball committee um, experience, what do you what do you think of when you hear the talking heads say, like, the eye test? That gets tossed around so much. Like, I'm just curious yeah. if, you, if you view that differently now that Iowa State's in this position and you've had that experience with the basketball committee. Well, eye test is human nature. I mean, yeah. all of us bring our own eye test to every decision you make because, you know, we can have all the analytics we want, but we can make numbers say what we need them to say. And so all of us come to the table with our own bias of what we value more than somebody else. Somebody may vote strength of schedule. Someone may have a bias towards how you're playing at the end of the year. Someone may have a soft spot for somebody that didn't have all their players, you know, yeah. all of, cause it's, it's probably not humanly possible that you can make all that stuff your own personal priority. Right. At some point you got to say, well, this one matters more to me or so. Um, so I, I, I do think that that is a factor, but um, I will also tell you, you know, 
I know many of the people on the CFP committee and they're no different than those of us that are on the basketball committee. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most people don't give enough credit to the people in the room that they're actually going to gnaw on this, grind on it mm-hmm. and do what they actually think is the right thing to do. And they'll, you know, there'll be differences of opinions and they'll have to figure out how they, you know, balance those differences of opinions. But, um, you know, I can assure you, and I didn't get to finish it last year with the basketball committee, but, you know, I was in enough of the meetings where, you know, we talked about injured players. We talked about, you know, intent to schedule, um, you know, things that subjectively you, you need to really talk about. And so I would bet that the college playoff committee is really having a healthy discussion about the five games. And um, my guess is they have talked about the fact that Ohio State chose not to play Illinois. It wasn't that they couldn't play Illinois. Hmm. Um, and we'll see how, you know, if, if that ultimately matters at the end. Yeah, it's fascinating. Uh, this, this sport that we love, college football, I mean, part of the reason why we love it so much is it's just so crazy. You just never know. I, right. <laughs> what the, I, real quick on the Big 12, because it, it seems to me the Big 12 has navigated this very well. Is it Was it the rules that you all put in place with the walk-ons and the 53-man um, roster uh, counting, or is it – it seems to – I don't know. This is just me. Uh, well, Chris, I, I go back to it. We had a really good plan. I think our medical protocol of doing the three tests a week on Sunday, Wednesday, and Friday um, has proven to be very successful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Big Ten took a different path. They were doing daily antigen tests. Our medical people have said PCR tests are much more thorough and more accurate, and they didn't want us to do it that way. They wanted to do the PCR tests. Um you know, the Big Ten does the antigen tests daily, same, so that they don't have to technically contact trace somebody out. Well, um, the fallacy with that was, you know, an antigen test just isn't as thorough. The, uh, um, you know, a biologist, and we've got one on our staff, and Tim Day, our faculty athletics rep who does this for a living, would tell you that, you know, an antigen test, if you've got a low load, a PCR test amplifies, uh, amplifies your um, your uh, virus 40 times. So it, you know, if, if you've got it after it's been amplified 40 times, they've really gotten it down to the lowest common denominator. An antigen test doesn't do that. So you could have a low load, meaning let's say you're carrying 20 or 25% virus, well, you're going to not, you're going to have a negative antigen test. You could have that for two or three days, yet you're shedding. And I think that's why you're seeing all these Big Ten teams not be able to answer the bell because they had people that they thought were negative that actually were positive and were shedding. And the Big Ten or the Big 12's policy Man. using PCR tests eliminates that. Did you ever think you'd be talking about this stuff? <laughs> like this is crazy. I know more about it than I ever thought. I I'd just I, I couldn't help but when you were giving that really thorough answer, I started laughing because it's like, man, you sound like an epidemiologist now. Like, and by the way, Tim well, Day was my wife's um, professor in the great College of Veterinary Medicine at Iowa State. So shout out to Tim, good guy. Yeah, we should have a little bell we could ring. Shout out to Tim. <laughs> but um, so, but back to you know, the Big Twelve has done a really good job on that. You know, and um, you know, I also think. You know, I think back to something Gary Patterson said early on in this process in one of our meetings that, you know, 
this will be the first time in my career that my number one goal is not to be the best TCU team at the expense of everybody else on this call. My number one goal is to make sure TCU can play as many games as possible because that's best for the big club. Yeah. That, I thought that was a really profound statement. That, that, that's really great. And that's kind of what I was, again, stammering to lead you into is it just feels like this is uh, the Big 12 has been really on the same page and unified through this whole thing where I don't know if I could say that about every other league. Well, I can tell you this. A good friend of mine who's an AD at one of the other leagues um, told me this last week, and he said, you know, the, he said the Big 12 is the Mercedes-Benz of conferences this year because of how we've handled football. And, you know, um, I'll give you another great point. You know, we had a working group in football that, I mean, I wasn't on the working group for football, but I remember them when they came up with the unbalanced tiebreaker policy. And all the iterations of how we would deal with that if everybody hadn't played the same number of games. And they would make your head burst just yeah. looking at it and trying to redo it, right? Yeah. But we did it on the front end, Chris. Okay. The ACC didn't do it on the front end. And so then they had to do this, you know, announcement last week where they decided Notre Dame and Clemson weren't going to play any more games so they could even out the schedule with Miami because they didn't know how to break an unbalanced schedule. Well, translated, somebody in the conference office was asleep at the wheel and didn't do their work on the front end. You know, another example, you know, the Big 12, you're not going to get on the airplane and go to the other team. You're not departing unless you've done your attestation that says everybody's clean. And the home team is going to do theirs in time so that the visiting team doesn't depart not knowing whether the home team can play. Okay. Well, we never had a situation like, you know, Clemson yeah. arriving at Florida state and then finding out you can't play. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was a joke. That should have never happened. You know, but again, that was because somebody didn't do their work on the front end. And so, you know, I'm proud of the big 12 because Bob Bowlesby and his staff and all the ADs and our medical staffs, we spent a lot of time this summer talking about stuff that, you know, probably made people's head burst. Yeah. But it all contributed because going back to, you know, when you asked me how Iowa State did it, I told you what was the first thing. We had great structure and policies, and it's no different than what the Big 12 did. The, um, one of the last things I wanted to hit you on um, before we leave is, you know, the a lot of discussion on finances in college sports, and you put out your letter about where Iowa State could be at the end of this. Um, I, I, I guess my, my biggest thing is just with, you've had some fans in the stands, not, not anything compared to a normal year. And that's going to carry over to basketball. Uh, do we, do you have any update on that as far as, you know, where you're projecting things to be at the end of 2020? No, I mean, what we plan to do is, uh, probably right after the first of the year, we'll do some kind of, uh, messaging to our fans to give them a, a more clear update. Um, you know, there's, couple things we're working through this month is, you know, we really kind of want to get six months of data on our expenses. You know, we, we have a pretty good feel what's happened with the revenue, but on the expenditures, you know, it, it's, um, you know, what's it really been like? Cause we haven't been out recruiting and yeah. we haven't been bringing recruits in, you know, how much equipment have we spent? You know, so I want to see what a six months, a half a year of data looks like so I can have a better understanding of the expenses. And then on the revenue side, you know, there's still, you know, the college football playoff, getting those three games in 
is $75 million to the Big 12, which is $7.5 million to Iowa State. So, you know, we need that CFP to finish. Yeah. And, you know, we're a month away. So, you know, that could be a huge swing. That being said, I still think we're in that $35 million range, um, which, you know, is a big number and will have an impact on us, you know, for years to come. But, you know, the plan is to, you know, to finance that through the university and through the regents and, you know, debt service on a $35 million loan over 20 years is probably going to be about, you know, 2.8. So use $3 million annually. So, you know, what you got to think about as a, as a financial person is, okay, that's $3 million we got to take out of the budget on a go forward basis. Yeah. Just to pay off that $35 million, that's without adding any other expenses in. And it's also, you know, that's making the assumption that all other revenues come back up in year two, which is, you know, probably not something you want to be totally bullish on today. Um, I'm hopeful that we'll get closer to that. But um, all that being said, Chris, I feel like we're out of triage. That's good. We got it. We got out of, you know, we've, we've got through our 10 games. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're in the recovery room and you know, when you're in the recovery room, there's always a chance you could get an infection and have to go back into surgery. Mm-hmm. But we're hoping we don't have to do that. And, you know, we're going to try to get strong and, and um, healthy here in recovery. And then maybe we can get moved out to the floor. If we get moved out to the floor, we can start rehab. And, you know, that's kind of how I'm using it as an analogy. Yeah. Um, so that being all being said, we couldn't have picked a better year to be good. <laughs> that's because um, season tickets you, next year. and Well, yeah, just yeah. think about how it would feel if we were really bad. I get it, yeah. Trying to renew Cyclone Club donations in January and February. You know, um, people would probably look at us cross-eyed. And, you know, now they're going to be looking at us with a lot of excitement about next fall, you know. And so we picked the absolute perfect time strategically to be good. That's, uh, that may be the biggest, you know, checkmate we've had in this process. Yeah, that, that's very well put. And then if I know this fan base, too, it just feels like they'll probably step up to the plate as much as they can. Some people are hurting. Some people yep. are actually thriving through this. Um so well, one of, the, one of the things that our staff has done, Chris, that's been really uh, beneficial to us is, you know, so, um, you know, who gets tickets? Like when we go to the big 12 championship. And um, so it's all based on your cyclone club level yeah. and then the points within the cyclone club level. Well, one way to increase points is cumulative giving. So one of the things we've done is we've said anybody who makes a gift makes their cyclone club donation for next year. Um, will get their points tripled. Okay. So we've had people that have been prepaying their next three to five years of their cyclone club membership this month so that they get triple points. And that's awesome for us because basically it kind of solidifies a revenue stream for us for the next three to five years. And so um, there's things like that, that we've been doing behind the scenes to, you know, kind of start getting ourselves prepared to move out to the floor to start rehabbing. Last thing for you, I've been fascinated by this in the business world. Um, is it just the like what we're doing right now? In the past, I would have brought all my equipment up to your office and set it up, and which is fine. I like the face to face 
as, as much as possible. I think it's good in business, but just in, in your world, I'm going to give an example. I remember back in the day it, when Bryles started to get that train rolling at Baylor and it was just like, well, so why is Baylor at the time they didn't have a good stadium? They didn't have, a, you know, they had a fan base, but they didn't necessarily show up. How are they able to get all these players? Well, the, on a Friday night, they could, those coaches could go all around, you know, in a two hour radius and be face to face with recruits, right? Watching their games. Well, this whole thing has forced everybody to change. Matt Campbell can do what we're doing and zoom with a prospect um, in middle of Ohio, right after a game on a Friday night, right? Like it's just, I, I feel like uh, you're talking from the revenue side. I feel like you should be able to trim some of that. Um, but also like it from geographically, we only produce so many prospects in the state of Iowa every year. Is this a little bit of an equalizer? Just, this post-pandemic world as far as the recruiting aspect of things? Well, I don't even know if I'd say it's an equalizer. It's just another way to differentiate yourself and be better. And so, um, you know, here's what my peers are talking about is this is number one, we haven't been out on the road and recruits haven't been here. So you've had to come up with alternative ways to do things. And, you know, Matt Campbell was talking about this in March when everybody else was talking about, Oh my gosh, we can't have spring football. What are we going to do? Matt Campbell, and you remember me saying this, mm-hmm. is he was focused on we're going to sign 25 players in December, and for the first time in my life, I'm not going to be going out and seeing them like I normally would. So how do I make sure we get the right 25 players? So in March, Matt Campbell was thinking about exactly what you're saying. While the Tom Hermans of the world were worried about why they couldn't play spring football. And, you know, what? my guess is you've seen part of the success um, on the field, and you'll see success in recruiting on those that have been able to adapt to a changing landscape quicker than others. And um, so this whole recruiting piece, what we're talking about is number one, it's saved a ton of money. Okay. Why don't we just, you know, how off the wall would it be to just extend it and say, we're no longer going to let coaches go off campus to recruit. You've got to do it this way. And uh, a couple things come into play. Number one, if you were to talk to the coaches right now, they would say their quality of life has greatly improved Yeah, because they're at home with their kids and their wives, and they're not babysitting somebody in a gym someplace in another part of the United States. And then thirdly, they're here for their current players. And, you know, Coach Holder, who's the AD at Oklahoma State, longtime great golf coach, said it best in the meeting I was in. He said, as a coach, you spend your whole time recruiting, and as soon as you sign a group, you start recruiting the next group, you don't spend any time worrying about your current players. Hmm. And maybe if we were less spending less time, we would, um, you know, be more focused on our current players. And then lastly, this was the best thing I've heard about this new technology is, you know, when you got to go to the gym, you know, in Atlanta to see somebody, you got to go through their handlers, their AAU coach, <laughs> before yeah. you can get to them. This allows you to go one-on-one coach with recruit and mom and dad and gets everybody out of the middle. And that's great. Coaches that can do that the best, like a Matt Campbell are using this technology to their advantage. Yeah. I thought that early on, like when I was just trying to break all this down and it was like, man, it's a really good thing to have like a young, not necessarily age, but a very progressive, I would say, 
you you've explained Matt is what do you call him an old school football coach with a with contemporary packaging. Yeah, I mean it really did work out well in that in that case. Well, he's he's um, and his staff are uh, just um, they're unique in how they approach things and um, you know and we're benefiting from it. Are you going to let them wear the black uniforms at the Big 12 championship game? Well, I wondered if you were going to go there, and then and we're not getting off this podcast without talking about the Notre Dame trifecta oh. because you got a great audience oh, and yeah. our fans need to understand yeah. the trifecta. you got to tell but, them about this. But, but the black uniforms, you know, I used this line yesterday on a radio interview, and it got a lot of laughs. But, you know, what are you going to do to compensate Matt Campbell? And I just said, well, last time I checked, black uniforms are a lot less than a $2 million raise. So <laughs> – you know, for those people, and I don't get a lot, but I do get, you know, one or two after every game. And yeah. I'm going to guess if, I don't know, no one asked me my opinion. So um, I'm going to guess we'll wear black uniforms. I don't know why you wouldn't. You got to. We're undefeated in them. Yes. But, um, but you know if we wear black uniforms at the Big 12 championship game, <laughs> there's going to be a whole bunch of people that are Iowa Staters that never watch Cyclone football that are going to watch that game for the first time. And they're going to complain and write the AD about the black uniforms. (laughs) My answer to them is get over it. He can sleep in the black uniforms for all I care. You know, we can wear them all the time if uh, we're going to have success like this. So, all right, um, Notre Dame trifecta. Yeah, tell us the Notre Dame deal. Yeah, let's go. Okay. Um, So, the Notre Dame trifecta is this. Notre Dame had previously played two – bowl games in Orlando. And in both years, prior to last year, the year after they played the bowl game in Orlando, Notre Dame went undefeated in the regular season. So the year after playing in the bowl game in Orlando, Notre Dame went undefeated during the regular season. Okay. Okay? The team that Notre Dame played in that bowl game, the year after Notre Dame goes undefeated, wins the college football national championship and has the Heisman trophy win. Okay. (laughs) So last year we end up in Orlando and somebody, you know, I don't even know who figured that out, but they sent it to me. And so I sent it to some of our donors, um, including Denny Allball and and Jason Mm Luce. And, um, you know, I sent it back to him in December going, you know, wouldn't that be interesting next year if we're dealing with this, right? And I even talked to Brian Kelly about it at the bowl game last year. I said, you know, playing you guys is perfect because that means two years from now, you know, we're going to win the national championship, right? And I said, but there's one thing. You guys got to do your part first. You got to go go undefeated. Well, well, right? well. In the regular season. <laughs> so fast forward to this year, and after Notre Dame beat Clemson, Jason and Denny sent me my text back to me. <laughs> And I had forgotten I'd even sent it to him, you know. And so Jason said, like a smart man once said this. <laughs> and so the last three weeks have been this huge countdown to last Saturday, Notre Dame beating Syracuse. Notre Dame finished the regular season undefeated. Just saying. So wow. that means next year, Iowa State, if this is a trifecta, is going to be the odds-on favorite to win the national championship, and we're going to have a Heisman Trophy winner. Well, I mean... Take it to Vegas, Chris. I can't (laughs) bet, but you could. (laughs) The Brees Hall deal, I mean, 
Or, Bro- or Brock. Yeah, either one of those guys will be in the top 15, I would think. Right. So, and I've got Iowa State the blanks pegged as fans. a preseason top 10 next year. So, it's not well, crazy. So, so, now think about it. So, so the first time it was Florida State and Jamison Winston. Yep. Second time it was LSU and Joe Burrow. And the third time it's going to be Iowa State and Brock Hall. We got two or, of them. Or Brees Purdy. Yeah, you got two options there. It's we fantastic. Two options. So um, that'll get some people's heads burst in here. So, But Notre Dame did their part. And so yep. now think about this. We're ranked seventh. We're going to finish the year somehow, some way, being ranked pretty high, which means next year we'll start out pretty high. And, you know, it's a real possibility. We don't have to go undefeated next year. We just need to win the national championship. Yeah, I mean, I'll take a 13-1. and one. You don't have to win every game. Come on. Yeah. Who are, who are I mean, we? We, hey, we got to let Iowa win sometime. sometime. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Thank you for your time. I always, I always enjoy this and, uh, it's been, I'm just, I'm really happy for you. I, um, you're one of the guys I was thinking of the other night. I just, I, I reference this often, but I remember when you got the job and it was one of the first big stories I ever covered. And just, I remember sitting in your old office, it's changed a lot, but like, and we were both kind of had like dreams about like what this could become at the time. And it's just been, it's been really cool. I'm really glad you're still here, and um, I just appreciate you. So thank you a lot. Well, thank you, and, and the feelings are mutual. And I still will always remember your first radio call. Yes, your first show, <laughs> you and Bloom on KASI fourteen thirty yep. in Ames on a Sunday morning. And I think you. I was your first. You were. Guest. Yep, from uh, ten to noon. You were. You called in, and John Larkin, uh, the voice of the marching band. Uh, was our producer, and I'll, I'll never forget him telling us you were on the air. So thank you for wow. everything. Enjoy the next few weeks, and we'll, we'll catch up with you after the season. All right. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate it.